0: Today's guest is actually part of our Raw Beauty crew. And she spoke up on one of my posts that I did recently and just shared her feedback, which you know I love. Our Instagram's Raw Beauty Talk. So I want to hear from all different people. I want to hear all different perspectives. I shared a video of Jillian Michaels, who was one of the fitness coaches on the show, The Biggest Loser. And in the video, she is giving some major tough love. I don't even know if you could call it that to one of the participants. She's basically like screaming in their face and telling them to get off the floor and, you know, just really like giving it to this individual. And your comment stuck out to me, first of all, because you were like so open sharing your perspective and then also saying, you know, this is where I'm coming from though. So it's not necessarily the correct perspective, but this is my view. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you had been in the Marines. I ended up clicking into your profile, figuring, finding out that you are a clinical social worker, an intuitive empath, a podcast host, a tarot card reader. And I'm like, this chick is Amazing. And I need Thank to you. learn more. I want to have her on the show immediately. You have a podcast called The Diary of an Empath, which I want to talk about in today's episode because I think we've got a lot of empaths uh, and highly sensitive individuals listening to this show. So we'll talk a little bit about those two things. I also want to hear about your time in the Marines because I feel like this is just so badass. And so we're going to dive into all of it and more. Carise Thompson is on the show. Welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and um I love how you, you know, you're just so open and vulnerable yourself and I think that I resonate with that as well and I'm the same way as you are, open to all perspectives, but I also understand everyone's had different upbringings and different experiences, so I'm excited to share some of those today.
0: Talk to me a little bit about your past and
1: the path that you've taken to get to to where you are today. Wow, okay, so that's a loaded question. Where do I start? So <laughs> I grew up in Chicago, born and raised, and I had a, a rough upbringing. I would say that, you know, I didn't have a terrible childhood, but I had a very difficult relationship with my mom. My dad wasn't around. And so that relationship with my mom was very turbulent, and then going into my teenage years, I was a wild child. I was doing things at 13, 14 that I mean, god, I have a 13-year-old, 14-year-old now and I couldn't imagine her doing the things I was doing at fourteen, going out and partying, and I was promiscuous and just all of these things that I was acting out with. Hindsight, I know it was trauma that I was processing and and a reaction from trauma. But mm-hmm. I was very lost. I was trying to find my way. I was never like somebody who was getting into legal trouble. I never did. I didn't want to hurt people. I just. I don't know where my mind was at. I just was hanging out with the wrong people and doing things that just didn't serve my highest good. I didn't know what direction I was going to take. And I started experimenting with a lot of drugs, never addicted. I just was open to doing different things and I was partying. And I remember, you know, at age 15, I had a sexual assault and going through that trauma, my mom didn't necessarily, it's not that she didn't believe me but there was like a lack of support. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a lack of support from the police officers who were involved. And I just remember feeling very numb and very disconnected. And so at that point, I just felt like I'm alone in this world and it's just going to be me and that's it. And I just have to figure that out. So I dropped out of high school. I just had no desire to finish school. I want to say I was like 15 freshman year and moved out of my mom's house at 17 not by choice, I was kicked out. But luckily, you know, I was always very independently driven, like I was never somebody to give up easily. So I got a job, I got my own place. And I actually started doing really well as soon as I got on my own. It's like, as soon as I had that sense of autonomy, something different took over in my life that I felt like, okay, I I was empowered in many ways. And I had a boyfriend at the time who joined the Marine Corps and his family was so supportive of me and was encouraging me to do something with my life. And I'll never forget, it was his mom, his sisters who all kind of had an intervention with me. And I had a tongue ring at the time. They're like, yeah, we're taking this out. What are you gonna do with your life? We'll pay for a college course. And I started then thinking about, well, what if I went into the military? And when I saw my ex go through... The military training, and and I went to his graduation. I started really taking it seriously. Like, oh, I, I can see myself doing this. And a lot of people ask me, like, why did you go into the Marines? And I I would say that my mind frame at the time was I wanted to do something that many other women weren't doing. I always wanted to challenge myself or wanted to do what the least amount of people were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of like that perfectionist in me. Yeah. And then I went into the Marine Corps shortly after I got into a relationship, which became my husband, very toxic, uh, narcissistic marriage, very abusive marriage, but we had a beautiful daughter and um, we stayed together for about six years. We ended up getting divorced and that was just for the best for everybody. And at that point, you know, when I was going through all of those things, I knew I had to get an education. I had already taken some college classes and, you know, I had that under my belt, but I had a kid now. And now I have somebody else that I have to take care of and I have to think of. It's not just me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the words when I was married. He said, you'll never be anything without me anyway. You didn't even finish high school. The next day is when I enrolled in college. like, yeah, we're not, I'm not doing that. It's kind of like the more people hurt me in my life, the more empowered that made me to know that it was just going to be me to pick up the pieces because if I failed there was going to be no one there to help me so I had to do something because I'm not going to let my daughter go through the same lifestyle that I did and um, I finished school finished graduate school and became a LCSW licensed clinical social worker and I thought that was my forever job I wanted to work at the VA I wanted to work with veterans because I was a veteran and I I did and for a while it was great and then it's like all of a sudden when covid hit, I think a lot of people finally stopped for a while. And for the first time, the whole world kind of stopped at the same time. And some people really started to think, am I really happy? Is this really my purpose? And I was one of those people. And I went through a huge spiritual awakening. And I'm not somebody who is super spiritual or religious or anything like that. Um, I always believed in a higher source. But when I went through this spiritual awakening, it was like a light bulb had gone off for me. And I just started dabbling with tarot and I started reading for other people and I was waiting for t- someone to say, you suck, you're wrong. And it just felt so good to continue to do it. And next thing you know, I was doing that. And then within a year, I started a podcast and the podcast kind of took off from there. And it's strange how I look back just five years ago compared to what I was doing then. And now I left my job full time, still part time, but I, I'm focused more on my podcast and you know my readings than anything else. But I think for me, that set me up for the foundation that I needed to now go into this next chapter of what I'm doing now, which is just helping people on a more macro level, on a on a bigger worldwide level, as, as opposed to before working at the VA was great, but I wasn't feeling like I was being in service of others in the way that I, I was supposed to. It wasn't part of my purpose. It was part of the journey but it's just something that helped me get to where I'm at now. And and I'm still healing and I'm still going through those processes. I'm very single, divorced, and I'm raising a beautiful teenage daughter. And um, yeah, that's kind of a, a short version of the many things to unpack about my life.
0: <laughs> wow. I'm w- listening to your story. And at first I was like, I love it. You're such a rebel. And then as we kind of like, Conclude the arc of your story as to yet, it's like, no, you were rebelling against patterns and people and things that were not ever for you Correct. in order to become this woman that you are right now. There was pushback against things that just weren't aligned. And it's so cool to see you now here, most likely feeling more connected to yourself than ever. And I believe with all of us, that's a journey that that's a lifelong journey, you know, connecting to that and becoming our most authentic self and it's just so cool to see you being in service now. And I can't help, but think how proud your mom must be (laughs) like, holy shit, this child took me on a ride and
1: (laughs) it's a, it's, we're still, it's a struggle still, you know, we, we still kind of have our disconnections, you know, especially when you're, you know, my, my mom is not a bad person, but there's definitely a lot of like really high narcissistic traits on that side trying, but there's a lot of back and forth. And I think that's where a lot of the struggle that now as a as a woman, as an adult, I'm 37, almost 38, I've just now started to like connect the dots with why I am the way that I am, why I got into some of the relationships that I got into and now connecting the fact of, oh, this is why I'm a sensitive, emotional person. This is why I've chosen some of the relationships that I've had because I'm just now connecting the dots with my childhood. But it's helped me also with other people to connect the dots of, well, this might be why this is happening because look at what happened with your childhood. Look at the chronic stress you were exposed to. So it's it's a journey. I'm still working on that relationship. So <laughs> we'll see what happens.
0: You know, and that's, that's all part of it. Look how much you've learned along the way and how much you're helping others as well. treat anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now get 55% off your Babbled subscription, but only for our listeners at Babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at Babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L. over. When you think back to your time in the Marines, I actually have not talked to anybody who's been in the Marines, let alone a woman who's been in the Marines. Can you tell us a little bit about that training? Did you like it? What does a day look like when you are in that environment?
1: So, when I was in, I would say that things were different than it was today because we didn't have social media. I think at the time we had MySpace and that was like the the only thing that we really had because the internet was, it was there. I mean, I'm not old, but it was just, we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have iPhones. We didn't have, you know, you couldn't get on, on an app. You couldn't get on Facebook. None of that existed. So I think that a lot of things that were happening in the military and the Marine Corps wasn't as widely publicly known as it is today. Like now you have like the Me Too movement and you have all of these things when you have deaths, they're very public and they're very out in the open, right? Whereas before it wasn't. And I'll start on a good note, you know, with the Marine Corps, I owe everything that I have in my life to my time. in. I think my life would have been a lot different had I have not gone through that four years. On the other side, it's very difficult and hard as a woman, number one, because we just don't make up that much of the Marine Corps. So there's a lot of sexism. There's a lot of harassment. There are high numbers of women who go through the military, not just the Marine Corps, who have sexual assaults, military sexual trauma. And so a lot of that goes on. I'm not saying that it happens to everybody, but there is a higher percentage. And we know this through through not only just studies, but people that come forward. And if that many women are going through trauma, we know that that's only a fraction because most go unnoticed or they're not reported. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, you know, during my time, I went through a lot of that. I went through a lot of the harassment, the sexism, in the Marine Corps they taught us from boot camp that you're one of three things and I hope I'm allowed to say this but you're known as they called it a dyke a whore or a bitch and this is from the moment that I stepped into training you have a choice to to be one of those three things Most likely, if you can keep up with the men and you're a little bit more on the masculine side, they're going to automatically think you're a lesbian. If you are young and you're sleeping with more than one person or you get a bad reputation, you're a whore automatically, or God forbid, you're pretty. And then if you just choose to not be either none of them, then you must be a bitch. And so it's like women just didn't have much of a choice or individuality in terms of who we could be. We had to fit into one of those categories or it would be chosen for us. And I think that's what I struggled with because even though I was only with one man the entire time, you get a reputation just for the smallest thing. If you're pregnant, you're trying to avoid deployments. And so I really struggled with that mindset. Another struggle for me was, you know, witnessing unethical things happen and not being able to have a voice because in the Marine Corps, you have to just suck it up. You have to deal with it. You got to do what you're told, even though somebody might be wrong and you might be witnessing some, some things that are just completely unethical and don't sit well in your heart. And a lot of times you have to deal with it. So my mouth got me in trouble sometimes because there were times when I spoke up, like you are not going to speak to me like that and you're not going to do this. And so I had a difficult time conforming, but There's really no, to answer your question, there's no like one size fits all in terms of what's a typical day in the Marine Corps, because it just depends on what you're doing as a job. I was an ammunition technician. So I did everything ammo, accountability, storage. And a typical day, we might be running six miles in the morning and then you're working a 12 hour shift, you know, doing your job and then coming home. And, you know, if you're going out and partying, because most people are young and in their 20s having kids and do it's it's so chaotic in the marine corps because that's the culture you have to understand that kids are coming into the military and i'm saying kids because they're 18 years old 19 years old 20 years old have no life experience and now they're being thrown into a culture with other young people and so you have high amounts of drinking high amounts of people getting married at a very young age divorce rates are very high mental health rates are very high and at the time i can't speak for now But the culture, how it was then was that if you got help for mental health or for things that were going on medically, you were looked at as weak. It could affect your promotion. There's so many things that it could affect. So a lot of people didn't get the help that they needed while they were active duty. And so there's no wonder why there's very high levels of veterans that now are coming into the VA system with all of these diagnoses with high amounts of you know PTSD with anxiety disorders domestic violence is high so now you got trauma you got sexual trauma and the rates are high for a reason and i think that at the time when i was in we just didn't have that support i didn't have that support as a single parent even though i was with her father at the time he was gone constantly and because he was a higher rank we kind of had to hide it a little bit So I didn't have that extra support. So if my daughter was sick, too bad. You're a Marine first. You need to come to formation at five o'clock in the morning, even though she's sick and and probably needs to go to the doctor. Those were things that were very difficult. And then you take on top of that, if you are in a dual relationship or marriage and you're both active duty and you both get deployed, you have to find someone to take care of your kid. It's a non-negotiable. That is something they look at you as family's not first. You're a Marine first. Everything else is secondary. Um, and I don't want to talk bad about the Marine Corps because there's a lot of good things that came from it. There's a lot of things that still stick with me. It it gave me thicker skin, Mm. but there was a lot of reasons why I felt the Marine Corps wasn't my forever career and it just wasn't resonating with who I was becoming. But it's, it is something that was necessary for me to go through, but there's a lot of things I don't agree with, with the Marine Corps. It's, it's tough. It's not, it's not easy.
0: Oh my God. It sounds so hardcore. I would die. I would immediately be done. <laughs> I would be deceased. They would be kicking me out. Even it's that horror. first thing you said about being labeled a dyke, a bitch or a whore, I would be like, oh, this is too yeah. much. So talk to me about the the pros, like some of the things you learned maybe around discipline or self-talk or um, uh, maybe not listening to the voices in your head, that type of thing that might be helpful to a broader audience because As I mentioned, this post that you commented on, you were like looking at the way that Jillian Michaels was training these individuals and part of it resonated with you in some capacity. I think we're at a time where there's so much dialogue around this sort of like highly masculine, people calling it toxic masculinity, attitude towards fitness and We're moving towards like a more gentle approach, I think, but I would love to hear your thoughts as someone coming from a background where that was really embedded within you at a young age.
1: When I saw that post, the first thing, and I'm going to be honest, the very first thing that came to my mind is that I wonder if this was a man in the same video, if it would get the same type of response from people, Mm. I feel like with women we're kind of expected to have this feminine type of energy, a more softer approach. So when you see a woman who is yelling or who has all of this masculine type of energy, it's kind of frowned upon like, Oh, why is she doing that? She shouldn't be doing that. She's being too harsh. But I, I, my, my first instinct was, well, if it was a man that was doing that, we probably wouldn't be reacting the same way. Mm. I I also want to start out by saying that I'm a big advocate that everybody learns differently. And I think that as a teacher, as a leader, we have to be mindful that all of our clients or the people that we're working with may not all react the same way. And we may have to adjust some of the ways that we lead and that we teach. So I think that's very important. However, coming from my background of being used to people screaming at me and doing those things for me, that's, I, I looked at it. I'm like, well, I feel like that's just part of how she trains. And they probably went on that show knowing that she was going to train like that. And again, it's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm the type of person, like if I'm going to be training, I need someone to push me. I can't, some, I can't let someone just let me, you know, mess around and I need someone to really push me. But I also don't think that someone should be degrading you or calling you names or anything like that. There's a fine line in between that. However... I'm not saying I'm for or against it, but I also understand why she trains the way that she does. She just has a more masculine energy with her approach. She's a little bit more militant and that's nothing compared to what I went through. And I don't expect anyone to understand what I went through, but the training that we did, I mean, that was the, that was the norm. Even if you weren't exercising, we were used to getting yelled at to be demeaned. Um, And I don't advocate for that, but it's I think sometimes it's just their approach. And I think that's her approach. So I'm not against it. I I would personally love to be trained by her. <laughs> I would be Oh, okay interesting.
0: With, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I do think that there's more of a reaction to it because it is a woman. I've also, though, seen individuals who took a more hardcore approach, even like thinking about Simon Cowell on American Idol, like when American Idol started, he was really critical. He said exactly what he was thinking. He told people, you're fat, you need to lose weight if you're going to make it in this industry, whatever he would, he would just like make these off the cuff comments. And over the years, he has- softened a lot, whether that's because he had a child or because the network was like, you need to smarten up or you're going to get like this show torn apart. Who knows? But we've seen a shift in general in the way that in regards to what's acceptable dialogue, what I find interesting is for me, I also want somebody who's motivating, who gets me out of my head. Who's like, stop it. Like, get up. You can do this. You can go, but it's the degrading part to me, that really doesn't feel aligned, and I think with that one post in particular, some of her dialogue felt really degrading to those individuals. It's less about the yelling and the it, like, the intensity of it, and I, I, I'm glad that you made that connotation of it perhaps being really a, a powerful way to motivate some people but that the degrading aspect of it is where things go a little bit sideways. I just think that that can cause more lasting damage and maybe in the short term it works, but then that degrading voice is left ringing between the ears of that individual far beyond the workout.
1: I I do agree. I think that it's always important to be kind to people. And I think we do need to just, I go through life and every day trying to be a good human, you know, and I think, again, it just kind of goes to that individualism. I don't agree with being degrading But for me personally, like if I put myself in that situation, I think that it wouldn't bother me as much, but I don't expect everyone to have the same experience as me because they don't have the same training. They don't have the same socioeconomic background. Maybe their culture is different. There's so many, we just can't expect people to react the same way, which I go back to when it comes to being a good leader, being a good teacher, you may have to adjust the way that you train certain people. I would guess and probably assume that a lot of her style was probably for the show. Totally not excusing that. Um, I don't excuse name calling and degrading. What I do think is okay personally for me in terms of some styles of training is the yelling and the pushing because I have seen it work. I have seen people who came from the most crazy backgrounds from the city to country to you're not telling me what to do be completely stripped down to their individuality is completely taken away to be then built back up. And it works. I'm telling you right now it works. There's a reason why the Marine Corps is so successful when it comes to their training, when we go to war, when we do things, because the way that they train is hardcore. Mm-hmm. And they don't take it easy on anybody. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, if you're a man, if you're six foot tall, or if you're five foot three. My senior drill instructor, and I'm, I'm friends with her till this day, Staff Sergeant Garbiso, she was five foot nothing, Native American woman, carrying nine rifles at a time, humping. Well, we call it humping, but it's hiking, you know, 10 miles because you had all of these Marines falling out. And She was one of the strongest women that I know. And she yelled at me every single day in my face where sometimes I just wanted to punch her. But towards the end, her whole demeanor changed because that was part of the training. She had to build us back up. She had to strip us down of what we thought we were, whether we thought we were weak or terrible. It didn't matter. All of that was to take us back down to start us from a clean slate and then build us back up in a different way. That was her training style. And let me tell you, it worked because you have to conform when you are 18, 19, 20 years old, and now you're working as a unit. You have to now conform in order to work together. And that means following orders. That means, you know, being trained a certain way. So I can understand why people train in those settings because sometimes it does work but again i agree with you the demeaning part we we are sh- we're shifting things the marine corps is also shifting yeah. they're also training differently they're not cussing anymore they're not name calling they're still yelling but they have also <laughs> shifted their dynamics of how they train so i think we're seeing that universally so fascinating
0: What's so interesting about you is you have this hardcore background, like this rebel teen. I don't know if that resonates with you that word, but like pushing back is. a little bit. <laughs> um and then you go into the marine corps, like so hardcore. And then now here you are working in social care, w- working as a tarot card reader. I mean, you've got this beautiful floral background. You're absolutely gorgeous. You see, you. you have a lot of very feminine elements to you. Yes. And yes. so I would love to know, combining those two things, if you had you know, a, a room of women who were struggling with negative self-talk, like just feeling like I'm not enough, I don't know if I, I have this dream to, whatever it is, start a store and try this thing over here or get to the gym more consistently, and they're doubting themselves and they're not sure if they can do it, and, and they're really questioning their capacity and yet also craving something more for themselves. What would you say to them?
1: Well, first, I would say you're not alone. The toughest women, the strongest women, the prettiest women all go through self doubt. You're human. It happens. I go through it every day. There are times when I'm like, is this really something I can do? You know, that imposter syndrome kicks in. So you're definitely not alone with that. That's number one. I would also say that, you know, if there's something that aligns with you, that intrinsic motivation, and when I say intrinsic, we have intrinsic motivation, we have extrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation is when you're doing something because it gives you purpose, it brings you joy, whereas extrinsic motivation might be you have to go to this job because it pays the bills. You kind of have to do it, but if you didn't have to do it, you wouldn't do it. I always say, find your purpose. If it makes you happy, if it's something that you know that it brings you joy, it raises your vibration. Then even just taking one step forward is going to bring you that much closer to your goal, right? In the Marine Corps, you know, we have to just keep pushing. The the big thing in the Marine Corps is just keep moving forward. Just even if you, even if you just go one inch, you just have to keep going and not give up. That's the really big thing with the Marine Corps because we're working as a unit. And so your weakest link is affecting the whole unit. So you have to keep pushing each other up. So with that being said, I would also find a support system. I know it's not easy for everybody, but even if, if it's the gym, if you can find a workout partner, if you can find a support group that's in your area, you know, if it's a mom support group or whatever it is that, that aligns with your goal. So for example, me as a podcaster, I have this group of amazing women on Instagram who we support each other. We share each other's posts. We link up, we talk, we help each other with advice. You know, I I get to meet people like you. And that, if I didn't have that support system to help motivate me when I was feeling down, I don't know where I would be. So having a support system is so important when it comes to, you know, moving forward with your goals, whatever those goals are, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's starting that business and and whatever that means for you. But I would say, get a support system, you know, just take the first step, even if it's just focusing on one day at a time. Today, I'm going to get up and today, I'm going to do that workout, I'm going to make that recipe, I'm going to wake up with the sun and try to get up early every day. Another thing I would say that has been helping me tremendously is writing down your schedule for the week ahead. So back in even when I was in the marine corps everything was very rigid and on a time schedule we woke up the same time every day we knew when we were going to go to work we didn't always know when we were going to get off of work but we knew what to expect we had a solid routine and routines can be really helpful when it comes to keeping your goals and aligning your goals so if you write it down ahead of time, you're more likely to follow through with it because things do happen and they do come up and you you do have to be okay with your schedule changing. But if it's written down like, okay, on Monday, I'm going to get up at this time. This needs to be done. This needs to be done. This is my to-do list for the week. And if it doesn't get done this week, I'm going to put it on my schedule for next week. But keeping that regular schedule is so important to get your goals accomplished. So support group, getting your goals accomplished by scheduling them and then finding what drives you and what brings you purpose. So those would be the top three things that I would say.
0: Ooh, I love all of those. You also said releasing any shame that you feel around not being enough, not doing it, being the only one that feels this way. Hell, we all literally <laughs> all have yes. the self-doubt. We are all wondering if we know what we're doing. We are all just trying to make it, do it, whatever it Every is. Every day you're not alone every single damn day, every single day. So get out of your head. You're that you're the only one facing this and continue to move forward one step at a time. I love all of that so much. Your podcast is called the diary of an empath. What is an empath?
1: So great question. I'm going to kind of take it two different ways for you. So there's that spiritual component. And then I also like to give the clinical component of why some people can be highly sensitive. So first I want to actually define empath because I think there's a lot of people who are highly sensitive, but they really don't know the name for it. And then when they hear it, they're like, oh my God, that's me. It clicks somebody who is an empath is highly sensitive to the emotions of themselves and others. We're deeply sensitive, but it's not just feeling sympathy for other people. It's also understanding someone else's emotions, being being able to have a high regard for empathy, being able to feel their emotions. So like as an empath, if someone is crying because somebody passed away, I'm not just gonna feel sympathy for that person. I'm feeling what they're feeling. It, it hits so, so hard. And we tend to feel very, very deeply So when we have a loss, even if it's someone we were dating for just two or three weeks, we tend to feel it more deeply. Also, you know, when it comes to empaths, we're highly sensitive to energy. So if you walk into a room, I don't know if you've ever been to like a party or you met somebody, you don't know them, but it just feels unnerving. Like it's almost like you can sense when someone had a fight in the room or you can feel when some, something there's off with that person. You just don't know what it is. You don't know that person, but it just feels off. You're picking up on their bad vibes, their vibrations. So their vibrations might be lower than yours. When I say vibrations, that's energy. Energy is measurable. We all have energy. And empaths just seem to be a little bit more sensitive to that. And with that being said, because we're sensitive to our environments, it's really, really important for empaths to maintain a healthy, safe, and stable environment, especially with their home life. We do really, really good in nature because nature has a very grounding energy and it brings us back to an equilibrium. Now, if you go back to your childhood, what I tend to see with a lot of people who are highly sensitive is that many empaths or highly sensitive individuals grew up in an environment that was highly stressful or there was chronic stress and or trauma. Not always, but I see this with a lot of the cases. Now, when you're a child and if you are around a high stress environment for the majority of your time, your nervous system, that fight or flight, that, that's that system that's telling us, okay, we're going to fight or we're going to survive and run. And it's that that nervous system is telling our brain what to do. So if you're constantly in a fight or flight environment, that nervous system as a child is chronically activated. And so if that is what you are used to when it comes to associating, especially love, when it comes to your caregivers, you may now grow up and start, as you start exploring adult relationships, whether it's friendships, romantic relationships, or other people in your life, you may now associate love or friendship with an elevated nervous system. So what does that look like? that might look like getting into toxic relationships, high highs and really low lows. Like, oh, I feel the butterflies with this person. But when things are good, they're really good. When things are bad, they're really bad. And I know for me, like when I did meet somebody who was very healthy and stable, my nervous system wasn't being activated anymore. And I'm like, oh, he's kind of boring. I don't know, you know, he's a good guy, but I just, uh, he's a little boring. That's because he wasn't activating my nervous system. And so oftentimes when you're now an adult, You have to understand when you're in a chronic, stressful environment as a child, you're paying attention to like every little thing in order to survive. What does mom's face look like? Does she look angry? Does she look sad? How hard is dad stepping? How hard did mom or dad open the door? What, what am I hearing in my environment? We're paying attention to all these like really subtle cues to tell us, is our environment safe or is it not? So if you are going through this as a child, your entire childhood, imagine as an adult, you're probably paying attention to the small little cues that most people don't pick up. Mm. He texts me back right away. It's been two hours. I haven't heard from him or her. The tone of voice change. He's acting different. I don't know. His facial expressions are changing. I just feel like something's off. And it's not that you're wrong. You you might be more anxious. You might even have an anxious attachment style, but it doesn't mean you're off. Oftentimes, we are picking up on those things. And oftentimes, we're picking up on the things that other people wouldn't. Now, what I tell people is it may feel like your weakness because it can feel very overwhelming when you're feeling so much emotion and when you're putting so much energy into looking for all of these subtle cues. But it can also be your superpower and it can be your biggest strength because you are going to pick up on things that other people won't. It's going to save you a lot of time. Also, if you're someone who is in the healing field, maybe you're helping clients, maybe maybe you're a therapist, maybe you're doing what me and you are doing, we're also able to pick up the cues that maybe other people wouldn't pick up on in order to help that individual even more. So empaths often end up in, in fields that help others or are in service of others because it's part of their strength. It's what they're good at. So what I tell people is if you feel like this resonates for you, being an empath is a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with feeling overwhelmed from emotions and there's nothing wrong with feeling deeply, but you need to have tools in your toolbox in order to handle these emotions and in order to handle these situations when they come up so you're better equipped to deal with them because otherwise it can be very draining. It can feel very emotionally overwhelming and you can easily spiral down with that. But at the same time, if you have those tools in your toolbox to use, it is your superpower and it is going to lead you down the most beautiful paths if you embrace it. I hope that answered your question.
0: Uh, It answered it so beautifully. I'm going to cut that into a clip and spread (laughs) it all over. I was nodding the entire time that you were talking. Obviously, I... Uh, relate to being an empath as well, but this was not something that was ever discussed early on. I didn't know that this this was part of who I am. And so for a long time, it has felt like there's something wrong with me. I can't handle as much as other people. I'm too sensitive. It's overwhelming sometimes being on social media. If there's an earthquake in another part of the world, I will Mm -hmm pick it up and carry it even with coaching i've really had to learn in the last couple of years how to create spiritual boundaries with clients yes. where i'm no longer picking up all of their pain and then carrying it with me down to the kids and the dinner table and around for you know the rest of the week because it was completely and utterly draining me i didn't have tools because i didn't know that this was what I was or what I was, what I was, navigating. Um, And now that I know and have the awareness, it makes so much sense why I need a bit more alone time than many other people, why meditation for me is so grounding, why sometimes I I know when I need softer, more gentle music, why when my husband comes in the door, I can tell immediately what type of day he's had based on how the door closes, based on those first two steps. And so... It is like there's a lot of unconscious work happening when you're an empath. So understanding first and foremost that that's what's going on is really helpful. And then really leaning into and learning tools to support your unique system, because it can be something that will break you down if you don't Mm -hmm. know how to use it. Mm
1: -hmm. So I would love to hear what some of your tools are. So I love that you shared that. Thank you for being vulnerable with that. You hit so many nails on the head and it's so relatable for me. And one thing I just want to add to is that nervous system, that fight or flight that I talked about, it doesn't always know how to regulate itself. So sometimes you may just be sitting there doing nothing and you get triggered by something and you may all of a sudden feel anxious, you know, so it's really important to do some nervous system regulation. How do we do that? Meditation is a great way. So I, a lot of people tell me, well, like, what is breathing going to do? But even from a scientific perspective, there's numerous studies that show that meditation is good for your mental health, for cardiovascular, for blood pressure. There are so many benefits to it. And also we live in a very um, digital society. We're in a society of notifications. So if you know that you're sensitive to energy, little things that are in your control. Do not have the phone in your room when you go to sleep. And I'm going to tell you why. Not only because of the blue light's not good for your sleep, but more so, I don't want you picking up the phone as soon as you wake up. Because what happens when you pick up the phone, you're still in bed? You are now inviting the whole world into your bedroom. So imagine if it was physical people. Would you want the moment that you wake up, open your eyes and you got 100 people in your room wanting something from you? And that's what you're doing when you are opening your phone. It's these little micro stressors that you're already exposing yourself to. Give yourself at least 15 minutes. If you have to get up earlier, do it to allow yourself to just be mindful in your environment, brush your teeth, do your skincare routine. If you want to do yoga or meditation, journaling, whatever that is for you, going for a walk, getting morning sun is very, very important because we're so exposed to artificial light. So if you can get outside within the first 30 minutes of wake, studies show that getting sunlight helps reset your circadian rhythm. If you can get your bare feet on the ground, even better because the ground has a vibration that is really, really necessary for empaths to just get back to that equilibrium, get remove all of the energy that we're carrying. If you don't set aside time for self-care at least once a day, especially if you're dealing with other people, whether it's kids, family, clients, you are going to feel drained and you are not going to know why. You are just going to feel overwhelmed. It will affect your mood. So meditation, morning routine, if you can get a nighttime routine, even better morning sun. And I would say just find something that brings you joy and try to find that time to recharge. Because if you're go, 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 like me, I'm constantly recharging my energy. I'm constantly being depleted of my energy. It's like a cup. If you're constantly giving, you know, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, You're not going to have anything left to give. And if you do, it's going to be this much and you're not going to be able to put a hundred percent into your family, into your clients, into whatever it is that you are doing in your life. So implement that self-care, try to have 15 minutes of morning routine and just do something that brings you joy. And also just be graceful with yourself and forgiving of yourself to know that there are going to be times when you can do all the right things and you still end up feeling drained or a little burned out, try to implement some breaks. You know, if you have to take a break, that's okay. I have a hard time with it. Listen, I I teach these tools and I still deal with burnout. I still deal with, well, if I stop, then this is going to happen. And then I can't do this. So it's it's a struggle sometimes, but just remind yourself you're human and then you can reset and you can start over tomorrow. Mm
0: -hmm. One thing I've learned after so many cycles of burnout is that, A symptom of anxiety for me, which is anxiety is most likely occurring when my, well, it is occurring when my nervous system is out of regulation, which it's going to fall out of a regulated state more often than others because I'm an empath. So one of the symptoms of anxiety for me is that my thinking mind becomes very overwhelmed with all the to-dos. So in the past, my tendency has been, I just need to get to the to-do list and I need to work. I need to work harder, push harder, go faster in order to check all of these things off. When I did my meditation teacher training and when I'm meditating very consistently and my anxiety is lower and my nervous system is more regulated, the thinking mind for me settles. And all those feelings of overwhelm dissipate a little bit. They're not, it's not as intense. And I realize, no, I actually do have time and I am able to think rationally about what the next step is. And so when you're somebody who is feeling overwhelmed or starting to feel the impacts of being an empath, really noticing that rather than pushing harder or moving faster, what we need to do is to go slower. We need to take longer, deeper, lower, slower breaths. We need to take a moment for self-care. And this doesn't have to be a $300 trip to the spa and take half a day. We're talking about little things, taking a Mm -hmm. moment to drink some water, grounding down into the present, going through your five senses. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you taste? What do you smell? What do you hear? And really just slowing down for a moment before moving forward. I also think that everyone should be heading over to your podcast of an empath to check that out because as you mentioned before, in regards to steps for success, one of the things that you mentioned was having your support system and you mentioned friends or online community, but I will say for me, when I'm in those difficult moments that listening to podcasts, Mm -hmm. uh, especially with hosts that I trust can be really healing and that can become an element of community or an element of support. So finding voices of individuals that you trust and that you feel safe with is really key. I'm just lapping up all of the information that you're providing and you're, you're just so brilliant at explaining it all and, and putting it into context. So we could talk about this for, for hours and hours. Literally. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank You're you. If, if somebody's interested in having their own reading with you, can I, I'll just link to your page down below.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can link my page and I'll give you my website to link to and they can go right on there. Um, And my link tree, you can, I'll just link the link tree and they can go on the website. They can find the podcast and any other way that they want to follow me. Amazing. It has been such a joy having you on the
0: show. I feel Likewise. like you are- exactly where you're supposed to be. And you have you. such a gift for communication and this work that you're doing. You're so poised. It's like, it, I mean, I'm just in awe. I'm bowing down to you. And thank you so much for taking oh, the time to comment on IG and to be participatory in this conversation that we're having and then yes. to extend, um, and to come onto the
1: show to share even more about your story. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you just giving me the time and the energy and allowing me to come on your show. I appreciate you.
0: Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind.